Welcome to Presented Alfred Hitchcock Presents, presented by the Ann Arbor District Library. I'm Al Scherzma, and in the Alfred Hitchcock Presents Companions section on collectibles, Martin Grahams Jr. and Patrick Wickstrom note that Alfred Hitchcock graced the cover of at least four issues of TV Guide. The first was on the issue with the TV listings covering October 27th to November 2nd, 1956, which happens to include the episode we just covered, None Are So Blind, which aired on October 28th. Here's what they said about it. A vain, pretentious young man, anxious to inherit the money left to his aunt, devises an ingenious plan to murder her. Seymour, Heard Hatfield, Muriel, Mildred Dunnock, Liza, K.T. Stevens, Maid, Dorothy Crehan. Not the greatest description, though I do like that they gave Dorothy Crehan a credit. Other choices during this time slot were Studio One TV Playhouse, featuring All Summer Long, starring Raymond Massey and William Shatner, Omnibus, featuring William Soroyan's My Hearts in the Highlands, Ted Mack's Amateur Hour, and Faith for Today. There's some interesting stuff there, but I don't know about you. I think I'm going to watch The Hitchcock. The issue itself features an article on what success does to stars in the first of three parts. This one focusing on Jack Webb, who doesn't come across very well, Bob Hope, and George Goebel. There are also articles by lighting director Sal Bossagnori, who explains his problems and offers advice on how to tune your set by college football and NFL legend Red Grange, entitled There's No Football Like Pro Football, by Arlene Francis, Something for the Girls, How I Managed to Keep My Figure Despite Those Double Dinners. Arlene was an actress and radio personality who is mainly known for being a panelist on all 25 years of the game show What's My Line. Here she is on a panel that includes Ernie Kovacs, trying to deduce the mystery guest. That's three down and seven to go, Miss Kilgallen. You go as far back as the silent movies? You go as far back as the silent movies? Yes. Mr. Kovacs? Do you have a current movie? Do you have a... Yes. Miss Francis? A current movie from silent picture days, Rin Tin Tin. Well, are you in the school of comedians of Harold Lloyd? Are you in the school of comedians of Harold Lloyd? Yes. Mr. Sir? Was there a picture recently made based on allegedly the story of your life? Yes. <laughs> Buster Keaton. Buster Keaton is And by Henry Morgan, not to be confused with Harry Morgan of Pete and Gladys, Dragnet and MASH fame, entitled Bongo, 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 Morgan's in the Congo, and he has pictures to prove it, a somewhat insensitive title riffing off of the somewhat insensitive song Civilization by Danny Kaye and the Andrews Sisters. So bongo, 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 I don't want to leave the Congo, no, 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 no. Bingo, bango, bongo, I'm so happy in the jungle, I refuse to go. Don't want no bright lights, false teeth, doorbells, landlords, I make it clear. That no matter how they coax him, I'll stay right here. Henry Morgan was a humorist, a satirist, and a radio personality who also appeared frequently on the game show I've Got a Secret. 
Here is a segment from that show, airing about three months after our TV guide, January 30th, 1957, featuring Henry and one of our What Success Does to Stars personalities, George Goebel. Um, I will tell you this, that this secret concerns something that George Goebel is doing. And um, we'll start with... um, We'll start with uh, start start with Henry again. <laughs> you look terrible, George. Henry. You look lovely. Yes, Henry. I don't know what you're doing, but it doesn't help. <laughs> you know, you look like a pair of old red buttons. <laughs> <laughs> we just commented on that before we said this. George, this thing that you're doing. <laughs> what is it? Of course, the hat has no nothing to do with it. Is That's that a question? Does the hat have anything to do with your secret? Does the hat have anything to do with your secret? Uh. Yes. Question is, does the hat have anything to do with the secret? Uh, yes. 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 But on the way to the theater tonight, I saw a man fall out of a window 18 stories high. You saw what? I asked him what happened, and he said, uh, I don't know. I just got here myself. <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> uh, would you mind repeating the answer? <laughs> yes, we would. <laughs> That's the question. The answer is yes. What we? I, I, think, I think he's getting a little tricky now, you know. Yeah. Ask another question. He looks like he's trying to get me in trouble, Gary. I don't know. <laughs> he looks like the kind of a guy that would invite his mother-in-law over to dinner, steal her false teeth, and hand her an ear of corn. <laughs> want to keep up our tenuous friendship? <laughs> uh, when I ask you a civil question, I would like to get a civil answer. You'll get one. I have yes. no mother-in-law. <laughs> no civil mother-in-law. No civil mother-in-law, anyway. <laughs> this is a terrible time to ask a question. I don't want to hear the answer. Um, you let one ear out. Is that significant? Is the fact that one ear is out significant? say so. And that, and that reminds me, we once had an old cow who wouldn't give any milk, so we sold him. For those curious, the secret was that George Goebel and host Gary Moore were wearing earpieces covered up by wool hats, into which George's gag writers offstage were feeding him jokes. Now, also in this issue, the As We See It column tells us, ridiculous as it sounds, there may be no television newsreel coverage of the 1956 Olympic Games at Melbourne. The networks and newsreel companies of America, Britain, and Europe announced they have found it impossible to cover the Games under the restrictions imposed by the Australian Olympic Committee. Whether that turned out to be true, I don't know. And in the TV teletype section, Bob Stahl reports... Elvis Presley's guest appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show lured 60,710,000 persons, highest ever scored by a regularly scheduled show, according to American Research Bureau. Ed Sullivan has received more than 25,000 requests for tickets for Presley's second guest shot this Sunday, October 28th. Now, this is all very interesting, 
But what we're really here for is the Hitchcock cover story, written by an uncredited correspondent, entitled Alfred Hitchcock's Observations Concerning Horror, Humor, and MacGuffins. Here it is in its entirety. This question was put to Alfred Hitchcock recently. How do you relate humor to horror? Watch our TV show, he replied laconically, or ask yourself whether an undertaker laughs. In our shows, the undertaker laughs. Of course, we've never happened to have an undertaker in one of our shows, but I'm sure you get the point. Alfred Hitchcock is a deceptively small man with a large girth, soft brown eyes, and the look at times of a patient basset hound, weary of the ways of the world, but still tolerant of them. He has been turning out suspense pictures since 1926, when he made The Lodger in England, and is generally acknowledged to be THE master of the genre. Actually, the success of CBS's Alfred Hitchcock Presents has been attributed largely to the success of Hitchcock himself as a TV personality. His one-minute prologues and epilogues came as a distinct breath of fresh air last season and were probably strong factors in the show's renewal. Hitchcock's appearances, however, serve as something a little more subtle than just a means of picking up a laugh at the sponsor's expense. They take the curse off the unhappy ending, he says matter-of-factly. If you're going to tell a murder story, why be namby-pamby about it? But under existing television formats, you are almost forced to water things down. So we do it with the epilogue. That is where we really relate humor to horror. A recent Hitchcock episode ended with a murderer's hand clamping down over a woman's mouth while she was trying to phone for help. That was The Creeper, episode number 38. It left the viewer with the feeling that, had the picture lasted another 15 seconds, he'd have seen a nice little strangulation take place. Instead, he saw Hitchcock, and Hitchcock said, That's the most heinous crime a woman can imagine. He takes the phone away from her in the middle of a call. Obviously, this sadistic criminal will stop at nothing. People, Hitchcock likes to say, are terrible hypocrites when it comes to murder and violence. They love to read about it or watch it on television or at the theater, but they refuse to become involved in it. They will walk right by a man lying on a sidewalk, feeling they are being good citizens by minding their own business. They are fascinated by the entertainment in a murder story, just as they will laugh at the spectacle of a man stepping on a banana peel. It is a very funny sight, and we do not wish our enjoyment spoiled by being told that he broke his neck. Hitchcock counterattacks horror, as it were, with either comedy or beauty. He is a very detached man, explains writer James Allardyce, who writes the Hitchcock prologues and epilogues. And, by the very act of being detached, he takes the curse off any horror or brutality that might otherwise offend. He once told me that he never lets his characters do what they are talking about or talk about what they are doing. He thus detaches them from themselves and keeps things from getting too sticky. You watch a love scene of his. The couple will be all but strangling one another, but they'll be talking about what's for dinner. Another Hitchcock device is what the adenoidal Alfred calls the MacGuffin. In any chase or spy story, Hitchcock explains, you have to have an object that is being chased or spied on or sought after. The secret plans, or the secret formula, or the secret code. What it is, actually, is a matter of supreme unimportance. I call it the MacGuffin. You may recall that in Notorious, which I understand is now being shown on television at practically no cost to the viewer, the MacGuffin they were all chasing was a bottle of uranium. Mind you, that picture was made in 1945, before the explosion of the atom bomb. Would you believe it? One producer turned the picture down because uranium didn't mean anything to him. 
he didn't understand the true function of the MacGuffin. And where did the word MacGuffin come from? As Hitchcock solemnly explains it, two men struck up a conversation on a train. What do you have there in that funny little package? asked the first man. That, replied the second man, why, that's a MacGuffin. What's a MacGuffin? A MacGuffin is something you use to kill lions in the Adirondacks. But there aren't any lions in the Adirondacks. Oh, well, in that case, it isn't a MacGuffin. In Hitchcock's view, this adequately explains the motivation of every picture he has ever made. Hitchcock took on his TV assignment last season as something of a quiet challenge. He claims to have experienced no difficulty in adjusting from 90-minute movies to 25-minute TV films, maintaining that it is the story that counts. He finds fantasy the most difficult thing to get away with, whether in pictures or television. The public has a moronic logic, he explains, a little sadly. I don't mean to say people are morons, not at all. The public today is highly intelligent, but they ask too many questions. They will not accept things at face value. I call them the icebox trade. They raid the icebox after a show and then sit comfortably back munching and pick it to pieces. They are, in fact, exactly like the producer who had never heard of uranium and who therefore simply wouldn't believe that Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman would go to all that trouble to get hold of it. People today, he concludes, spend entirely too much time questioning the MacGuffin. The Andrews Sisters' 50th Anniversary Collection, Volume 1, including the song Civilization, is available at the Ann Arbor District Library. The episodes of What's My Line and I've Got a Secret are available online. If you would like to contact me about this podcast, please email me at scherzmaa at aadl.org. That's S-J-O-E-R-D. S-M-A-A at A-A-D-L dot O-R-G and please put Hitchcock somewhere in the subject line. Good night.